In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The text for this morning that I'd like to draw your attention to is a, is a summary of our lesson for this morning. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Please be seated. At times, we as Christians get carried away with the idea that we are set apart from the world. While it is true that in Christ we are made holy and therefore set apart, we can often misuse this truth in attempts to protect and defend the church that God has brought together in His Son. God is against sin. And our world is certainly corrupted by sin, but God is not against the world. It is His creation that He came to redeem. So over the next five weeks here at St. Lawrence, we will be preaching a sermon series entitled, God Still Loves the World. These, these, uh, the series is based on the readings for each given Sunday. So this morning, our sermon is entitled, God Made the World. And all three of our readings really reflect on the fact that while Adam's actions in the garden corrupted the world in sin, God sent a second Adam, Jesus, to redeem and restore the world. Our Old Testament text is really the beginning of the Bible. It's actually the end of the beginning of the Bible. You see, the first three chapters of Genesis give the account of creation and the account of Adam and Eve giving into the temptation of Satan. And in doing so, cursing themselves and the earth with sin and death. Today, I want to compare the events from the Old Testament lesson with the events that take place in Jesus' temptation from our gospel lesson. God not only created the world, but he did not give up on his rebellious creation. In fact, I want you to notice that while Jesus faced the same temptations as Adam and Eve, he remained faithful and redeemed us through his faithfulness. So, if you're following along in your sermon outline, which I highly recommend, we are starting on the left side. This outline is going to help you compare these two temptation accounts. But first, we need to backtrack a little bit to understand our context for our setting. Genesis, in the first two chapters, gives the account of God who created all things, including our earth, animals, and people. And so Adam is placed in the Garden of Eden, where he is given responsibility to care for God's creation. And in the garden, all his needs are cared for. Adam has no need to fear anything because God is with him. And Adam has even a partner who he later names Eve. And things were very good. And then our Old Testament lesson for today picks up the event that has affected us all what we often call the fall of man, Satan, who had rejected God's will and was banished from heaven, came to Adam and Eve as a serpent, 
and said, Did God really say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Now the phrase, did God actually say, is often a good question for us to ask of ourselves. That is, we should always look back to God's word to understand our faith, not just our own feelings in our hearts. But notice how crafty the serpent is. This question of, did God actually say, isn't pointing back to God and his word, but it is trying to obscure it. He asks if God forbade eating from any tree in the garden. Eve is able to correct him. She heard God speak to her and say, no, God said we could eat from the trees in the garden, just not the one in the midst of the garden. This specific tree is not for us. So Satan begins tempting Adam and Eve with fruit. Fruit that looked good but was forbidden. This offer is easily resisted from a need standpoint because, as I stated earlier, Adam and Eve have all things that they need. Everything that they could want for was provided. So Satan draws Eve and continues to tempt her with lies and promises that he has no control over. Satan says, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now this was a truth mixed with a lie, which is really a way that Satan really likes to talk. You see, because a truth with a lie sounds true, but is corrupted by the lie and is ultimately false. The truth was that their eyes would be opened. The lie and temptation is that they would be like God. So without a grumble in her stomach, the fruit looked even tastier because Eve believed that it would make her and her husband equals with God. And well, she knew she wasn't that. But it sure sounded nice. So Adam and Eve ate, and their eyes were, in fact, opened. And the first thing that they saw is that they did something evil. That they did something against God, their father. And now they knew what it meant to feel naked and living against God. The bite of knowledge didn't get them closer to God. Rather, it caused a rift in their relationship with the father. They rejected the father and tried to hide in their sins. As a father myself, I have seen this reaction to guilt too many times in my life. Children almost always physically hide, although usually not that well, as you can see in our picture. I can think of times, and maybe you can too, where I was working in the house, maybe doing dishes or maybe just watching TV, who knows. But I'd like to think I was doing something productive. And I know the kids are off somewhere else in another room playing, and then all of a sudden I notice that it's quiet. Aha! A telltale sign that something has gone awry. And I can find myself 
just like God the Father in our, in our story from, from our Old Testament lesson, asking, child, where are you? And then as I walk into the room that I know that they're playing in, I can hear the rustling of a little one tucked under a blanket or behind a curtain or behind a chair. And if I pause for a moment and stop, I can even put myself in their shoes. I remember when I was young, my little heart racing after I did that thing I wasn't supposed to do. When my dad comes in and finds out, boy, I'm going to be in trouble. So I would hide because I was convinced that my dad would be mad. And you know, this reaction of hiding from our sin is a reaction that we still have today. We hide and cover up. When we sin, we do it because we think our option is better than what God has provided for us. We believe that what we want is more fun or it's easier. My sins make me feel good. I would rather make my rules instead of listening to God. I'd rather do it my way. But in the end, sin never lives up to the expectations. The lie of sin always leads us to being afraid and covering up. Maybe not right away, but certainly down the road. And it's because we cannot fix our lies. Once they come out, they're there. And our sin, well, we can't fix that either. So we hide in various ways. And our attempts to hide are as feeble as a young child under a blanket. Or Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. But there's something specific that happens in our lesson that I want you to notice. When God finds Adam and Eve, he reassures them of his promise to love them. He is still their father, and he is still their God. And their sin, though causing a sever in their relationship, doesn't change that fact. Sure, there were still consequences to their, to, the, to their sin. The land was cursed. The serpent was promised defeat. Adam and Eve would now face pain and difficulties previously unknown. They would now die and face death. They would now have fears and doubts. And what was broken needed to be restored. So God promised to crush the serpent's head And his promise was to redeem those who sinned against him and banish Satan's sting. In Genesis 3.21, we see the father making proper clothes for Adam and Eve. God attended to Adam and Eve. He doesn't leave them on their own, but this covering is only a foreshadow of God's full restoration of man. And so this is the end of In the Beginning. We jump to our gospel lesson where the ending begins. That is, the ending of Satan's reign, of his sting of death. The promised Savior takes his first step in crushing the serpent's head and bringing an end to tyranny of his lies. So we move over in our outline to the right side. In our gospel lesson, we have a similar story 
but much is reversed. Where Adam and Eve were placed in a perfect garden where they had no need or want, Jesus is sent by the Spirit into the wilderness. A wasteland, a perfect example of what our sin brings us. This area could not be lived in and couldn't sustain anything. And so Jesus was sent there and he began to fast. Jesus was weak with hunger from his fasting and so Satan saw an opportunity. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus responds with Scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Just like Eve was first tempted to eat fruit that she told she couldn't have, so Jesus was tempted with bread. Then Satan moves on to tempt Jesus to throw himself down from the temple. He takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the top of this temple because the angels will catch you and not even a foot will touch a stone. It's as if he says, you will surely not die, just like he did to Eve. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. Jesus knows who he is. He knows his relationship with the Father And there is no need to prove himself equal. Satan wanted Jesus to be tempted into being like God. But Jesus knew that in his humility, this was not his place. Frustrated by the results of his temptations, Satan just makes promises to Jesus. If you will worship me, I will give you the world and every kingdom in it. Satan tempted Jesus to reign over the world by rejecting the Father and worshiping him. What Satan didn't know is that Jesus was already taking steps toward a different throne. He was coming into the world to redeem the world. So Jesus responds, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so Satan left him at this time. Jesus undid all of the mistakes that Adam and Eve did. After Satan was done tempting Jesus, he was no longer alone. God the Father sent his angels to attend to Jesus. Adam and Eve faced temptation in the garden where everything that they needed was provided for. And the Father took care of them after they fell. When Jesus was tempted and succeeded, it wasn't simple or easy, but he didn't give in, and the Father cared for his Son, who was worn out by the temptation. Jesus, in his temptation, resisted Satan with the word of God. And this was the beginning of the end. Our epistle lesson is Paul's summary of the comparison of Adam who fell into temptation and Jesus who gives the gift of justification. Paul says, 
Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Death came into this world because of Adam's sin. Life has come into this world because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. In Adam, we have inherited corruption. In Jesus, we have inherited redemption. Adam wanted to be equal with God, and that is why Adam and Eve fell into sin. But Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is to say, even though he was truly God, he understood that his place was not to be like God, but to be in perfect relationship with the Father. Adam's sin has brought in great pain and suffering. Jesus' faithfulness has bore that pain and suffering perfectly for us on the cross. Today, we find ourselves in an interesting place. We find ourselves here at the beginning of the Lenten season. In this season, we especially reflect on the work and life of Jesus. And as we do so, we will notice that Jesus is ridiculed. He's mocked. He's challenged. And he's tempted. He faces trial, tragedy, and a society that doesn't understand him. Jesus is the king of kings, and yet he doesn't seem to be like a glamorous king at all. In him is peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And yet this kingdom of God that Jesus is ushering in is pushed back against over and over and over again. This new way of life that Jesus, the second Adam, is bringing forth is not of this world, but it is absolutely for it. Jesus suffered to redeem sinners, to cover sin perfectly, not with skin and sacrifice of animals, but with his own body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. On the cross, Jesus takes the full sting of death. In his tomb, he buries death in his grave. If you look at the cross that is at our altar for this Lenten season, you'll see at the base of the cross, there's a skull and crossbones. There's also a serpent. It's to remind us that on the cross, Jesus bore our sins and crushed the serpent's sting. He has done away with death for us. Felix has gone through his own death and resurrection today, and he will now taste eternal life forever because of God's promise for him. We are walking our own Lenten road of life. In the footsteps of our Creator, we follow in peace and patience, love, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, sealed with the promise of baptism and nourished by our Savior's body and blood. And yet our lives are not glamorous. At least mine isn't. Our sinful, broken world will continue to push back against the kingdom of God. We might even fall into temptation from time to time. But Jesus calls us to his new way of life, a life redeemed. As human beings, we are no doubt a part of creation. 
In that sense, we are of this world. Yet in Christ, we have the blessing of God's Holy Spirit to help us discern God's truth from Satan's twisted lies. Remember that when God found man in sin, he showed mercy. God justly punished the sin, but he promised redemption for all of his creation. Jesus is the living expression of God's mercy for you and for me and for the rest of the world. We face our own temptations. Satan continues to tempt us and others. As we live this life in Christ, we can refute his lies with the word of God, just as Jesus did. We can also mend wounds with the word of God. And by that I mean we can love those who are hurting outside of these church walls, those who are ashamed and broken in their sin because they don't know God's promises. As we continue in this Lenten season, know that God has made the world and he has made you. Better yet, know that God still loves the world and he still loves you. And for that, we can say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.